Good morning, and thank you for joining us for our first session today, which is entitled Dialing in the Details, which will be presented to you by Dr. Sonia Palak. I am Dr. Christo Papadopoulos, and it's my pleasure to introduce our presenter for this session to you. Dr. Palak is a two-time graduate of the University of Western Ontario, having completed her dental program in 1993 and her master's in orthodontics in 1999. In private practice for 22 years, she was a clinical instructor at UWO for 10 years and served three terms as president of the Oxford County Dental Society. She has a special interest in office systems, digital orthodontics, specifically insignia advanced smile design. Dr. Palak has lectured internationally on clinical orthodontics, practice management, and the importance of team leadership. Today, Dr. Palak will walk us through why Insignia Custom Braces and Spark Clear Aligners are her go-to appliances, designing the details into effective systems, and then letting the appliances do the work for you is key to running an efficient and profitable clinic. Welcome, Dr. Palak. Thank you, Dr. Papadopoulos. It's wonderful to be back, especially being introduced by one of our alumni from Western, uh, Go Mustangs. Uh, I'm so excited to be here for the NISO Stronger Together meeting. Although we're not in person, uh, I am super pumped and glad you could join us and that we're going to be sharing and learn, doing some learning together uh, online as good as ever. All right, let's do it. As you just heard, I'm Dr. Sonia Palak and I'm from Woodstock, Ontario, Canada. It's beautiful fall weather. And uh, this meeting, of course, one of my favorites. Um, I know when we could all collect, um, see the seasons changing. Uh, as we see the world evolving, um, our profession is doing the same. You know, we have all this technology at our fingertips. And I think a lot of us are playing with it a little bit more uh, because we have the time to do that. And, uh, and so it's interesting to see what's coming out of these meetings and how we're all learning and sharing um, along these lines. The topic I'm bringing to you today is called dialing in the details. Um, what are the details? The details are really what delineate for us as orthodontists um, the beauty in a case. It is the finish of the case. It is what defines our abilities as an orthodontist um, and typically how we judge ourselves, how we might look at each other's cases and say, you know, what could have been better there? Maybe what we could have done differently. Um, our customized appliances, uh, Insignia and Spark, and those are the ones that I use, um, are bringing to us a technology to allow us to ask for what we want uh, prior to starting the patient. But knowing what to ask of that appliance is as important as the effectiveness of the system itself. We believe a lot of times that we know what we're looking for, um, but if you were left to your own devices to just set up a case and ask for it, the question that I often uh, felt like I was asking myself when I started with digital technology was, what am I actually trying to do here? Um, setups are key to our outcome. So if we don't know how to set the case up and we're not going to have what we want in the end and what we want in the end is something that we all recognize. Um, but when we're working and reverse engineering our solution, it's a little more um, tricky to really get a firm picture in your mind of what that looks like from the start of treatment. Ideally, the setup would be reflected in the outcome which means that the system would be effective. So if we could produce an ideal setup then the appliance system would take that and translate it into our outcome. And that's really where um, my search 
has gone in terms of the effectiveness of appliances is when we're using these systems, are they actually delivering what it is that we're asking for? Because we're going to spend the time to actually set the case up. And so if it doesn't translate, that seems to me like some wasted time there. So why do some systems promote setups that don't reflect the outcome? Uh, you may have used some systems out there that are customized, but that are being taught to us to use as a system of um, insufficiency, really. It's to compensate for the shortcomings of the appliance itself. We may say, well, in order to achieve this type of movement, we have to overcorrect it. We have to ask for something that looks bizarre and then hope it lands somewhere near what we're shooting for. And I think that that's unreliable. Trying to do that and trying to guess how much to over or undercorrect is really just reflective of our thinking of conventional treatment. This is what we do with standard appliances. So trying to make that jump from, here's what we're used to doing. Let's get out of that way of thinking and try and look at customized treatment as a, as a true solution, as something that we can customize for each and every patient and have, them, have the prescription be specific to take them to the ideal outcome. In conventional treatment, we bend wires to make adjustments for what we do or don't want from that system. And all of those adjustments take time and cost money. And that is the key. Being able to optimize how we use customization is going to allow us to be more profitable in the end. So Insignia customized self-ligation brackets and spark aligners allow me to do this. They allow me to dial the details into the setups and deliver the desired outcome. And they do that in a way that is specific and also uh, for me, um, very systematic, very automatic. Uh, and in terms of running of a busy clinic, if you're going to do volume and you want excellence, it's to try to get those two lines to marry. Um, it's important that it be predictable and that it be working uh, a majority of the time. With the prover, um, the Insignia prover is the software system for setting up cases with braces. And uh, I've completed over 4,000 setups with the Insignia prover. So I have a fair bit of experience doing digital setups. Insignia Prover fixed braces with Insignia are 100% accurate. You can look at your setup and then look at the expression of that bracket on the tooth and see almost a mirror image of the setup. Um, but no system obviously is going to express everything in there. Um, what have I learned? That the outcome is not the variable. The initial presentation is. What do I mean by that? I mean that the outcome is something that we all want. If we were to define what should these teeth look like, how should they fit? I mean, straight teeth are straight teeth. Things being aligned ideally and properly, we can all identify if something is out of whack. Um, so it isn't that the outcome is the variable. I don't want a custom solution, uh, a, a different uh, setup for every patient. I want the same setup. What I want that will be different is from the initial presentation. It's going to take me from the problem to the solution. So if I deviate from an ideal setup, I will guarantee that I won't get an ideal result. With the biologic limitations of the patient, that we may not 
um, get the complete expression of what we're asking for or be able to affect completely the change that we want to see. Um, it's possible if they were missing teeth, if there were periodontal issues, um, if we have a, you know, a complex case requiring, uh, you know, prosthetics and things like that, um, we may have limitations to size discrepancies. There's all sorts of things. Um, but if we do not provide an ideal setup, if we deem that we can actually determine how close we can get to that ideal prior to asking for it, we will sell the system short. We have to be able to ask for the ideal and then see what's possible. And that's really what I've learned. So much more is possible with customized appliances than I believe we think that we actually know uh, and assume that it was the patient. That's the reason there's biology. You know, we can't move that cut that lower cuspid in. We are unable to, we won't be able to control that overjet unless we take out upper vise. those sorts of things. And in that terms of how that's changed my thinking about what's required, what's actually required to fix these issues and where they're coming from, it gives us a lot of understandings. I, I just think that we don't really understand the limitations of our, of our appliances entirely. No appliance is perfect, not insignia, not spark, um, not anything that we use in our profession. And the reason is there's always a patient at the other end of it. These are not machined parts. These are teeth and human beings. And there are variables that we can't control. And in terms of a, a bracket and a wire uh, interface and the amount of play between those two things or the inconsistency of a, you know, an discontinuous force on an, an aligner system as they go in and out of the mouth. Those are variables that are going to affect the expression of our outcome. However, um, the more tight that we can keep those tolerances, the closer we're going to hit the bullseye when we throw that dart and start that treatment. For me, customization is a direct line from the initial of the patient to the end. And we can achieve much more than we've been taught to believe using this technology. So my goal is always to try to treat the patient with the fewest number of appliances in the simplest manner possible in the fewest number of appointments so that I minimize the impact and the footprint that I make on this person's life coming into the office and how many times they have to um, deal with what I'm putting them through to get this done. I want them to think that it was super simple, that it was amazing to watch, that they could actually see the transformation happening and be excited the entire time during treatment. Um, so when you look at a patient like this and you say, this is this person and she has this class two, she's an adult and not growing, what are the things that come to mind? Extraction of an upper bicuspid, jaw surgery, all of these things. Why? Because we've learned somewhere along the line that this is inviolable, that this will not move, that we can't um, address this in any other way. And I would suggest that just simply by addressing the um, transverse widths and getting the arches coordinated and the teeth ideally aligned so that the lower jaw can move to the center position, um, that we see a much more dramatic change than we ever thought possible. This is a full class one correction. It's simple and predictable without extractions or surgery in this adult patient. 
um, the arch coordination is already taken care of. The second that we have coordinated arches on a digital platform, we no longer need to sit down chair side and start to manipulate the arch wires and, and you know, bring things together and, and look at them or bring casts out or models or whatever it was that we've been doing. We are now able to sort of say, look, if we can coordinate these things, look at the change in just mandibular position on this person. Um, and she needed some mechanics. I'm not saying she didn't. This is a difficult case. Um, but when we understand that once we can coordinate the arches, all we have to do is affect the change. The doctor time and the effort is now at a minimum once this setup is complete. So I have set her teeth ideally. And then what do we do? Well, here in this patient to make this change, and this is a beautiful change. Torques are controlled. Uh, the occlusion is settled. This is the day we took her braces off. And you can see that the occlusion is tight down. We don't let go of wires and settle teeth. It's simply coming together as the case progresses with very minimal effort. So our treatment setup here was just an initial indirect bonding with SmartArch laser engineered wires. That's how I start every single fixed case. Uh, and these arch wires are amazing technology. They uh, deliver the optimal force and move the entire dentition. So unlike an 014 NITI, that does not um, exceed the force level necessary to affect motion on the molars, I believe that it's important that we're uprighting molars. That's where the space and the um, access to the space to align blocked out cuspids comes from. And if we're not accessing that early in treatment, we're getting stuck with flaring and all of the other issues that we've seen. So this is how I do it. She had two TADs in her maxilla, one at the left uh, anterior and one in the right posterior. The right posterior to retract the dentition, the left anterior to lift the cant. I repositioned three brackets during one appointment and she also had one detailed step bend. I only make step bends uh, because they are repeatable. I don't like to do a lot of detail bends and wires. I don't like to spend a lot of time chair side. To me, that is costly. And we're looking to strive to use the appliance as an, a true straight wire system so that we can minimize chair time. She had interoral elastics in various configurations and 14 visits total. So including putting her braces on and taking her braces off. Uh, so this is very effective and efficient treatment for a complex case. You can see when we look and cite down her mandibular occlusal picture, you can see as uh, Dr. Andrews always discussed is being able to see pink around those teeth is knowing that we haven't flared things. She has beautiful torque control in both arches and her midlines are right on. And so this is a very, very neat and easy way to fix this case. I apologize for this grainy film because uh, this picture I pulled off the internet, but it was just to ask what side effects are your mechanics creating? If you use a distalizing appliance like this in that patient um, or any type of distalizing like this, look at all of these unwanted side effects. The cramming of the four and the five up against the three, we're not unraveling crowding. We have all this space to cover. I would challenge anybody doing this to re-examine your systems and to question, is this really the best way to do things? 
minimizing unwanted side effects, not round tripping teeth, right? By determining more ideal tooth positions initially is more efficient. And efficiency equals profitability in the clinic. That is 100% the case for every clinic. It doesn't matter how you run your clinic. The quicker and easier the adjustments, the fewer the adjustments, the more profitable your case. And so we want to focus on that. My setups are based on a prosthodontic class one denture setup. This is just a standard denture setup that we learned in first year dentistry. It took me almost, I would say 500 setups to come to that realization. I initially thought, oh, everybody's got a different, uh, you know, customized appliance and which meant everybody's got a different set of teeth and a different outcome. But as I said before, the outcome is not the variable. The outcome is the standard. We always want ideal alignment in both arches. If we don't have level and aligned arches, we can't put them together and they won't fit the way that we want. So we always have to remember this intra arch alignment is more important than inter-arch relationship on a setup. And this is true of any case. If you look at your cases that are not coming along or coming together, you can take pictures and then just generally look at the photos to determine which teeth are not aligned ideally. Because if they are not, it's likely that they're deviating things or creating imbalances that are not allowing us to fix the, the malocclusion. Inter-arch mechanics is how we affect the change between these two ideally aligned arches. So we always want perfectly straight teeth and perfectly straight teeth always look the same. It really doesn't matter if you're missing a tooth here, everything else is going to be ideally aligned. And so once we get good and trained at what that looks like, it becomes much easier to do the setup. And it's more, however much we do inter-arch, such as in the last patient, two TADs, um, some elastics, more or less may be required depending on the complexity of the case. I'm not saying we never take out teeth. I'm not saying we never do surgery. That's not the case. It will minimize those things when you can take something that you believed would have been treated with those things and allow us to do what I just did. But some patients still need extractions. Some people still need surgery, but we can use these appliances to help minimize the time and the appointments that it takes to address them. What about our digital setups? Well, we always want midlines coincident, don't we? So we're gonna set the teeth like that. We're gonna look at Andrew's six keys and make sure our molar relationships are appropriate. It's not just that the uh, mesiobuccal cusp is in the buccal groove, but there is a contact of the distal marginal ridge of the upper first molar with the mesial marginal ridge of the lower second molar. How are you checking that on all of your standard cases? It's almost impossible, but with a digital setup, we can actually position it there and know that we're, that is lending itself to stability. We want level occlusal curves. We can look at our curve of speed, our curve of Wilson, which is in the, the buccolingual aspect of the posterior teeth, and also the curve of Monson, which is related to those molar relationships at the very back of the oral cavity. We want ideal marginal ridge relationships and contact points appropriately positioned. And we can look at microaesthetics, our embrasures, our incisal edges, and determine from the get-go, what are we doing with this patient? The curve of Wilson is specific to our buccal segment uprighting. 
And I want to thank Dr. Damon, whom I learned this from. He is a mentor of mine and someone I greatly admire. His prescription, the Damon prescription, is based off of this. This uprighting is the curve of Wilson is how we gain a lot of the space that we uh, use to uh, maintain the dentition. The molars need to be upright in order to minimize balancing interferences. And if I think back to my traditional uh, education and using a lot of TPAs, double TPAs to fix hanging palatal pests, it's interesting to me because when I went through my setups, I consulted with a couple of prosthodontists and what they call those are plunging palatal cusps, plunging palatal cusps of the upper first molars that hit the central fossa of the lower first molar. That's the functional cusp. And the purpose of it is to drive the lower molar upright so that we don't have a lingual collapse. And I'm not sure I learned that in my orthodontic education, but it sure comes in handy when I'm looking at my digital setups and how to level those curves. Correct occlusal curves will follow the anatomy of the posterior cavity, the oral cavity, and that creates stability when we have these ideally directed occlusal forces. It's the same way we would set them up for dentures or for a prosthodontic restorative case. And so specifically, we want to employ all of that. What we are doing is full mouth reconstruction with the natural dentition. So all of our setups should be consistent with prosthodontic parameters and with dentistry. My feeling in now, my belief is that I would never do anything that is outside of those parameters. I don't wanna move teeth where they don't belong. I don't believe that torquing roots on upper molars buccally in order to lift hanging palatal cusps is very friendly to the periodontium. And I definitely can tell you that my implant dentist would not be placing the implant with the root directed labially. And so we have to sort of look at all of these consistencies and come in line with what we know from dentistry in terms of restorative. So when I look at this case here, and this, um, that picture that you just saw in the last slide, and this one is from the Spark Aligner Approver System. Um, the setup reflects the movement. You can see that this person has quite a worn down lower first molar, and I've set her up with the space so that it doesn't need to be reduced further. Um, and here we are with a tight occlusion and the spacing in the posterior as I've asked for it. And you can see it open in the back as the same, all of the teeth are still in occlusion, um, except where there is the wear happening. And it's this predictability that's so important. This is an 80-year-old, an 80-year-old patient with Bell's palsy. And so I was not really interested in offering a fixed appliance to this person. I said, you know what? I have a beautiful aligner system. She really wants straight teeth and uh, the spark aligners, and they are effective. This is where her case is at. And I can show you. Uh, in a little more detail here, when we look at the amount of crowding, this is after 36 aligners, and now she's ready for refinement. She came in this week, and I was just thrilled when I looked at this lower interior. This would be a challenge for anybody, and if this person walks into your practice, um, I want you to wonder what are the possible treatment plans that would come to mind. Definitely a lot of my colleagues, I feel, would be offering or thinking about extraction of a lower incisor. 
I don't like that because it creates a lot of bony issues, you know, with defects and things like that. And we're six on five. Uh, I like to have all of the teeth in occlusion anytime I can. And this is what I mean when I say that a lot of times we assume that our appliances are not going to get us there. But if we know how to dial in the details, if we know how to detail that case when we're setting it up and the direction in, with the, in which the teeth need to move, we can start to unravel this problem in a way that allows us to move the teeth no matter the circumstances to where we want in most cases. With spark aligners, one big difference that I've seen from the previous aligner system that I used is that the attachments are accurate, not active. And that allows me to one, place them accurately and also to see that the aligner is seated fully and tracking. And so we don't have this jump off or loss of the aligner around the attachment, because if we have a lot of active attachments, it's difficult to see the aligner or to judge is the aligner actually in. In this way, we can hear the aligner snap into position and we get an accurate and effective movement of the tooth. Look at the crowding on this person. She is a lovely lady and she is absolutely thrilled in nine months of aligner wear to see this change. I also just wanna point out, look at the periodontal status on this lower lateral. That's quite amazing, isn't it? And I think, well, that is due to the fact that when you are uprighting the lower buccal segment distally, we gain so much space. There is a momentum by moving those teeth and she's not lack for bone. You can see the tori and the nice big ridges, um, but definitely a lot of people, if they measure this out, would say you can't get those in. Nine months with aligners and now we're ready for refinement at this point. Our case is solved efficiently thanks to the appliance reliability and also our setup. So this is minimal refinement on a difficult case. This is her refinement setup. I pulled it up, so I was just filming it hands-free. So 10 additional aligners, and then we'll have retention to follow. I'm super pleased with this case and our Spark approver and our Insignia approver, I use the exact same setup. I'm looking for midlines on, a nice class one, a tight occlusion. I don't want space between the teeth and so, unless I do for restorative purposes, um, but we can track those changes and that's how you learn how your setup was effective or not. Less than ideal situations, right? All of these, all of our patients, really every patient has a less than ideal situation because that's why they're seeing us. I, I, my belief is that if you didn't need me, you're in the best vote. Um, but say some, someone comes in with a tooth mass discrepancy, we can set it up to minimize the compromise there in terms of how those teeth fit. So conventional treatment plans like maxillary bicuspid extractions because there's a missing lower incisor in order to minimize overjet. I think that these sorts of things need to be reconsidered if the appliance limitations are the reason for the decision. So when we look at a setup, we're able to say, look, these are the teeth, let's place them where they need to go. I'm gonna ask you just to consider if it's difficult in your clinic to establish anterior contact, if it would be in that missing mandibular incisor case. Because simply when you put fixed appliances on there, especially anything with a lot of friction, like a twin system, it's going to stand the teeth up and flare the teeth. And we are going to be in a situation of excess overjet. 
This patient was a second opinion to me and the other person wanted to take out two bicuspids. And I said, well, let's do a setup and see where we're at. And this is where we ended up leveling the curve, gaining anterior contact, even though we're six on five. And that's because we can play with the teeth in order to position them there. So because these bicuspid extractions were recommended by another practitioner, I really also want to point out that extra oral photographs are imperative to assess smile dynamics. And I don't mean just at the start of treatment. I'm a big proponent of taking photographs at every single visit, intraoral and extraoral, and we do on every single case. And this is so that we can see the dynamic change and know all along that we're moving in the direction of an aesthetic change for the patient. If you look at the change in this young girl's face and then ask yourselves, what would have happened had we extracted two upper bicuspids? Yes, they don't want the lower incisor replaced, but do we really wanna flatten her profile that much and retract the teeth? And the answer is no. But I would also agree with you that it isn't so easy to get the second result just with a set of braces and some elastics because without customization of the torque and the built-in arch coordination and the ideal alignment, the fact is you're probably not gonna get there that easy without a lot of adjunct therapy. So trying to look at digital, trying to consider and to open your mind to this approach is really, really going to be eye-opening. This is her case from the day we put her braces on and through the visits. It took nine visits to treat her. The first to put her braces on, this is every single adjustment that she came in to the time we took her braces off. And if you look at this case, it never looks crazy. It never looks out of control. I have often thought when I was treating with traditional appliances and a sort of one size fits all approach, some crazy things came in some days where I was really confounded by like, how did that happen or bites that opened or a big six millimeter overjet that would open on a case like this. And it would create a lot of nerves and anxiety of how to solve this issue. And I no longer have that. I sleep very well with customization. I don't think I'd ever move back in the other direction uh, for that reason. The doctor can also dial in the micro aesthetics with the setup and not wait until the end of treatment where it can get overlooked or we can just not do it because we're running out of time. If you create side effect movement with appliances and then have to back the teeth up, this takes a long time. Patients get burnt out. They don't wanna stay in treatment. And so when we're looking at all of these little finishing details, it's hard to convince a patient that there's still some work that needs doing when they just wanna quit their braces. If we know all these things and we can um, create these beautiful um, rolling buckle segments where everything is tapered up and our embrasures are aligned, um, we can dial in those details before we even touch this patient and know that that's what's gonna come out in the end. Digital development of the case result is translated chair-side in an into an easy to implement solution. So how many times do I have to actually put my hands in this mouth? Um, and actually not much, uh, actually, because my team actually can now clean the glue off the teeth. And so even where I was required to just do the D-band, uh, that's been taken off my plate. And so if you consider what else am I doing with my time, I'm spending it 
doing case setups and uh, doing consults and checking the progress of each of these patients. But I don't have to invent something new every time I sit down. I already know how the case is going to turn out. This person had indirect bonding, a total of nine visits. She wore some intraoral elastics. We did two repositions. Uh, I repositioned two brackets and I did two step ends um, in order to effect this change. Doing the digital casework saves time and money in the clinic. It means less finishing bends and settling at the time of D-band. Insignia and Spark deliver on the plan. So with that all in mind, I'd like to thank all of you uh, for allowing me to be here, for allowing me to share in this wonderful meeting and bring you some uh, insight into how we dial in the details uh, using Insignia and Spark and how we can use that to become more profitable and more efficient in our practices. All the best to everyone out there watching and all of my colleagues who couldn't make it today. I hope you're all well and uh, blessings. All right, thank you, Dr. Palak, uh, for that very well done, excellent presentation on, uh, on the subject. And we actually have a few questions uh, that we were hoping you could answer. Um, the first one is, how long do you typically spend doing a digital setup for a patient? I would say that the average uh, for me is about 10 minutes. I know a lot of people, um, kind of think that, you know, the less there is the better. And I, I would say I don't really agree with that. Um, but it used to take me a lot longer, I probably would have spent when I started, um, you know, kind of whittling it down from 45 minutes to 30. And now I'm down to about 10, because I'm, I'm much more intuitive in, in how everything should look and where where things are not exact. Um, but about 10 minutes. Very good. Uh, another question that came through is, how do you justify the additional investment of doctor time doing computer work? Oh, um, well, I've often considered at, at the start, it was a lot. You know, when you have a conventional practice, you're doing all of that work and you're really thinking hard at the chair. So it's a lot. It's kind of mentally grueling. And then when you if you're going to switch your practice to like a fully digital practice, you then have the computer work on top of it. Um, and it, it can kind of bleed over into your personal life and be a lot of extra. Um, and once that sort of died down, I realized that um, that that was when I got paid. You know, at that 10 minute slot, uh, no one else is working. I am the only person on the clock and 10 minutes spent to set up those cases so that they just unfold and are treated in this very simplistic way in my clinic is far more profitable than if I consider that, you know, for every minute I spend there, I'm probably going to save two minutes at the chair. And in that 20 minutes of, of, you know, clinic time, my entire team is on the clock. And that's expensive. That's really expensive time. So, so that's a, a complete uh, trade up to spend my time doing the, doing the setup. Well said. Um, and do you have, do you do anything, sorry, different in your setups between um, setting up the spark aligners and the insignia brackets? Um, that's a good question. So in terms of the outcome, I would say no. So in terms of the tooth positions themselves, 
um, I'm still going to look for ideal alignment. So I'm going to look for an ideal occlusion, ideal torque values, ideal looking teeth uh, that are aligned, midlines on, uh, tied into occlusion, all of that. The difference in the setup though would be the awareness that with braces, you can make changes on the fly. And so you have to have a little bit more of an, a determined uh, mechanics outline when you're doing your uh, spark aligner setup, because like any aligner system, you can't change it once you order it. So things like adding bite turbos, uh, positioning those and then removing them, asking for them to come off at some point because we want the teeth to come together, buttons, uh, cutouts, um, attachments, placements, things like that, uh, knowing if you're going to use power chain or if you're going to attach something to a tad or and when you're going to do that, at what point are you going to ask for that, having the, sort of that collective big picture and knowing this is where I'm going to make these changes, you have to design that into the approver, right, for an aligner system uh, like Spark. So you can't just simply decide midway not easily anyway, I'm just gonna add a tad here and you, you weren't prepared to do that and the aligner doesn't allow for room for buttons or attachments to be placed. So, so just in terms of the um, mechanics, the, it will have much more impact in terms of you know, your approver design for, for the Spark than Insignia. Excellent. Well, it's always great listening to your lectures. I was, uh, as you said, a resident when you were a clinical instructor at Western. So here we are awesome. once again. Very awesome. <laughs> Top notch. Yeah. I, I do want to thank you so much for, for bringing this wonderful session to NISO. Uh, and thank you to our NISO experience attendees. Uh, we couldn't do this without you for, for joining us today. And please be sure to take the test and complete the session evaluation in order to receive your CE credits for this session. Uh, thank you very much once again, everybody, and to Dr. Palak, and uh, we'll see you next time.